0: Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays, Dan Hope, joined as always by Griffin Strome, and joining us for the beginning of this week's episode as well is Garrett Hodge. You've heard him on the podcast before, our recruiting analyst at 11 Warriors, and we're having him join us this week because today, June 1st, is the start of a really big month of recruiting. For Ohio State as you're listening to this or potentially already before you're listening to this depending on when you're listening to this Ohio State is holding its first camp on Wednesday at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center Ohio State will be holding seven camps uh, for high school prospects over the course of the month six skill camps for position players as well as a seven on seven camp and it's also a big month for official visits with more than 30 official visitors expected to come to Ohio State this month. So, a lot to discuss on the recruiting front. Garrick, glad to have you with us.
1: Glad to be here. Just embracing the calm
0: before the storm, Dan. So, it doesn't feel like there's quite as much buzz surrounding the camps this year as there was last year. Obviously, last year, was a really unprecedentedly big camp season because of the fact that last June was the first time in well over a year that players had the opportunity to make visits or for coaches even to evaluate them in person because of the lengthy recruiting dead period that was in place for the COVID pandemic. Now things are back in a more normal recruiting calendar. Players had the opportunity to visit during the fall, during spring practice. Coaches have had the opportunity over the past month to go to schools and evaluate uh, players in uh, spring practices and workouts. And so it's not quite as vital of a month as it was a year ago, but still a really important month for Ohio State's recruiting efforts. Yeah, I think
1: you're going to see some pretty intriguing prospects on campus, even though you won't. See quite as many at the very top tier of the list as we kind of saw last year. I was kind of looking back for research purposes to the first camp that you covered last year, Dan, and I was just going through it like, oh my god, wow, that's a total all-star cast of characters we got here. And while the re- recruits that are coming in are still pretty talented and still got some juice to them, it's not quite the wow, there's just four stars and five stars everywhere you look at these camps. But furthermore, I mean, while camps are obviously very important and lay the foundation for a lot of offers that come in for Ohio State, the official visits are really what's going to kind of probably set the tone for Ohio State's recruiting cycle this month, especially because there's so many recruits that could pop on or near after these official visits happen. And I mean, there's... You said there's more than 30 official visitors coming in. Uh, around 20 or so of those are happening on the last weekend of June. So it's really kind of setting the stage for a grand finale for Ohio State recruiting. And it really could be fascinating to watch how quickly things could materialize if, in fact, things all go well as planned.
0: Griffin, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing wonderful, Dan. Garrick, why don't you take us through some of the most notable players that will be coming on these official visits uh, while camp season? is underway here starting on Wednesday.
1: Griffin, good to hear your voice, man. We haven't done a pod in like months. So we're back at it. G and G. G and G. Well, I, I guess we're going to start our own enterprise after that. Thanks for, uh, thanks for <laughs> the but anyway, we'll start with wh- what prospects are going to be notable that Dan and I and Griffin are all going to be watching tomorrow or when today is you're listening to this podcast, but I think the most notable one is Tyler Atkinson and he's notable because he already has an Ohio state offer. And yet he's coming to Columbus to camp anyway. And he was offered when he was an eighth grader without ever having had to go to a recruiting camp to show just how raw of a physical prospect he is for a very young age. And I mean, this guy's pedigree is already off the charts. He's the first Ohio state recruit to be offered in the class of 2026 um, he's already gotten close to 20 division one offers. Um, he's already six foot three and 190 pounds, and he hasn't played it down a high school football yet. So imagine how much more that frame could fill out by the time he's a junior and a senior. And I, I saw the other day that he's the first eighth grader in the modern recruiting era to ever be invited to an all American game already. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty impressive. And, I'm very much looking forward to being able to watch him firsthand and see just why Ohio State and countless other schools are so excited about this guy and just get be able to talk to him and see if he realizes how rare this truly is for a recruit as young as he is to already be talked about this highly in recruiting circles. A little more advanced of a guy is uh, Xavier Hardy. A six foot five, 262 pound, four star defensive lineman from Georgia. He's got offers from the likes of Florida, South Carolina, Auburn, Georgia, Miami, Michigan, and USC. So, this is also a very noteworthy recruit that's going to campaign like hell to earn an Ohio State offer. Dan, you seem like you really wanted to say something about Tyler. So, go ahead.
0: Oh, I, I don't know that I did. I think I was just struck by some of the things that you said about him, making the point that he's already earned an invitation to an all-American game as an eighth grader. I mean, that's, that's definitely unheard of. So I'm definitely. Literally the forward. first
1: one to ever do it. That's right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to watching him as well. Again, we'll, we'll probably already be watching him or have watched him by the time you're listening to this podcast, but I know that we'll have coverage of him on the website as well to you know kind of hear more of our post thoughts on what we saw from Tyler Atkinson because Yeah. I mean, I think just the fact that he's already earned that offer. I mean, again, you mentioned that he earned the offer in eighth grade. Let's be clear. Like he still is. I mean, he, I don't know if his school year is over, but he's going into high school. He's never played a high school game yet. And so I'm really intrigued to see watching a guy that age, how does he hold up when he's going up against, you know, incoming seniors? Because I think if, if I can think back to the past, when you see that guy who's a younger guy, who clearly looks better than the guys who were older than him. That's kind of an eye opener. Okay, this guy can play because if if, if you if you are years be- classes behind them, and yet you're outperforming those older guys, they, there's probably a lot to work with there. Moving down the list, I
1: think at least two Ohio cornerbacks are on offer watch tomorrow, and that's Jermaine Matthews in the 2023 class and Aaron Scott in the 2024 class. Aaron Scott t- spoke with. A, about a month or so ago, visited Ohio State last spring, loved his visit. Really think that if either of those guys get an offer, they could eventually come to Ohio State in their respective recruiting cycles. Jermaine would have to materialize a little quickly because he's already got a July 4th commitment date set. So we'll have to see what happens there. And tomorrow could also be unofficially dubbed as Kevin Wilson Day, as there are four tight end prospects that are pretty interesting. Two from two 2023 and two from 2024. We'll start with the current recruiting cycle first. In-state prospect Jackson McGowan is really, really trying to earn an offer from Ohio State. Got a chance to catch up with Jackson a little bit ago. And while he is a Cincinnati commit already, he's been preparing for this for basically a year. He's gained 24 pounds since the last time he's gone through Ohio State's recruiting circuit. And he's just really has a strong desire to show that he's worthy of that Ohio State offer and the team that he grew up rooting for. And then another interesting guy in the 2023 is Vance Bolliard will be there Wednesday. And I think if either one of those guys are offered, they'd be a solid bet to at least be a strong candidate to be Ohio State's second tight end in the current class, alongside Ty Lockwood. And then where 2024 is concerned, Tavion Galloway is really the most interesting prospect in there. He's an in-state guy, a four-star guy that has visited Ohio State multiple times, and yet he hasn't gotten that Ohio State offer yet, but he has multiple SEC and Big Ten offers and an offer from a program such as LSU. So certainly a big-time recruit. So it'll be interesting if he performs well enough to see if Ohio State finally decides to pull the trigger on him or not. And staying in 2024, the cousin of current Ohio State tight end, Cade Stover, Garrett Stover will end up camping. And he's kind of really grown over the last years. 24-7 sports already considers him a four-star guy. So he could be another tight end on Offer Watch in that cycle.
0: Garrick, you wrote on Sunday about the five most important official visitors that will be coming in over a month. And really, we can say every official visitor is important because Ohio State's not paying for a guy to come visit Ohio State if it doesn't have legitimate interest in a guy. So every single one of those guys is important to some degree, but you picked out the five guys who you felt were really the most important. Starting with a guy that we talked about last time you were on the show, Caleb Downs, who is a five-star safety out of Georgia. I believe he's ranked as the number 11 overall prospect in the class. Garrick, what makes him the guy that is most important among these official visitors?
1: I think he's the most important official visitor because a Ohio state really has a chance at getting him, but also pairing along with the fact that Ohio state is really locked in a battle with at least two to three other schools to land him. And while some may have different opinions on who exactly is the clear front runner here, some may say it's Alabama. Some may say it's Ohio state. Some might even say Georgia or Clemson. I I think that this Ohio, official visit is critically important for Caleb Downs, especially since they're going to get one of the last cracks at him because he'll be visiting on that June 24th weekend. And I mean, they've absolutely made him a priority as their last highest priority remaining safety target. They've already got two committed in Cedric Hawkins and Malik Hartford. And I think that he's one of the most important guys, because if you go down the list, of their safety targets, there's kind of a steep drop-off from Caleb Downs to the next highest guy on their list, even though he's still very talented and a guy like Joel Aguero, but he also doesn't have – I wouldn't say that he is exactly a front-runner to go to Ohio State right now. Georgia seems the more likely option for someone like him. And I just think that he's the number one safety in the class, and the official visit is either going to make or break – Ohio State's chances of landing him. So hence why I decided to put
0: him number one on the list. Olos Allenin is number two on your list. Seems like he's become the top target at offensive tackle. Now you've talked at length about how important it is for Ohio State to land top offensive tackles in the class. Obviously, since the last time you were on here, Ohio State fell out of a race for Chase Basantis, who did not include Ohio State in his top five. Samson Okanlola is another top guy who could uh, still be a top target for Ohio State, but among the guys we're going to be making official visits, as far as I know, Olaus is really the only guy there among those top offensive tackle targets who they're going to have on campus in June. So no doubt that one is going to be really important.
1: I really struggled for at least a solid 15 minutes while writing that article when weighing who's more important between Olas and Caleb Downs because there's legitimate reasons for both of them to arguably be the number one when you consider the positional need that Ohio State's going to have at offensive tackle and while Luke Montgomery who's already committed is going to start off as an offensive tackle there's not a clear consensus that he's going to stay there so Olas for sure is going to be playing offensive tackle in college. I don't think he's ever going to be asked to move inside or anything like that. He's either going to be a left or right tackle. Whereas Luke, he's going to be given every chance to earn a left or a right tackle starting spot one day, but it also could be conceivable that he could be asked to play a guard or a center. And like you were saying, I think Samson would absolutely be one a one B with Ola's, but he hasn't sent any official visit to Ohio state. And, while Ohio State is certainly not out of the running for landing him, it just seems a lot more likely their chances with Olas are great than a guy like oh, Samson. And going back to the downs argument, if they strike out on Olas, if Alabama eventually wins out in that recruitment, where do you turn? So your backup plans are a little, you don't know. There's no clear answer. So Olas is certainly going to be, probably one B in terms of important visitors for Ohio state this month.
2: Eric, let's talk about a guy that, you know, me and Dan got to watch last year at these camps, the number one wide receiver in the country, in the class, five-star wide out, Brandon Innes. He's got a crystal ball predictions for, for USC and Ohio state at the moment. And talk about how important that visit will be for the Buckeyes and why you placed him at number three.
1: I placed him at number three because it's interesting that Brandon moved up his official visit plans from Ohio state from November to June, because for months, Brandon had talked about his recruitment going the distance until December. And at first glance, it was pretty nice that Ohio state was going to get the inevitable last crack at him in November for the Michigan game, which was that he was already kind of thinking about, but now there's some around him in his circle that think that a decision could come this summer. And I think I put him number three in the important visitor list, because I think this is Ohio state's chance to really make the push. All right, let's end your recruitment this summer. Let's get you in the bag. Let's get this thing going. And with how much momentum has been there, I really think they got a chance to do it.
0: You've got Tackett Curtis at number four. Jim Knowles has gone to visit Tackett Curtis in Many, Louisiana, so many times that they named a sandwich after him at the local restaurant. So that tells you how important Tackett Curtis is to Ohio State's recruiting efforts. This one, it feels like Ohio State's got the lead here. This is their chance to seal the deal. Yeah, I think so. I really want to know what that sandwich is called, by the way. Like, I, I want to <laughs> well, I know. Think we got, if, I think we got to send you down to Louisiana to, to go investigate.
1: W- well, I mean, that that would be an option. But I also probably could
0: just call Jess Curtis and just ask yeah, him. Yeah, that Curtis. too.
1: That would probably save. Uh, but then you don't know, get to
0: try it. Like, we need the description of uh, what. The- maybe
1: I'll send him a text that before they come on the official visit, they need to actually bring the Jim Knowles sandwich for the o- Ohio State media to try out. But. Nevertheless, yeah, I think that this is essentially a two, maybe three horse race with Tackett Curtis. And I'd say that Ohio State, you know what? I'm going to make a golf reference just for you, Dan. I think that there's a couple holes left to go in this recruitment, but Ohio State leads by a couple strokes. And got to sink the I, putt. Yes, yes. They got to keep sinking the putt. And as long as they keep racking up those pars, they're going to at home and i am clearly not a golf person as you can tell by my struggling to i'm kind of looking <laughs> at dan is that right that sounds about right to me but no nevertheless jim knowles has made no secret who his top linebacker target is he's been to louisiana so many times tackett curtis came to ohio state last spring and loved the visit and the guy just <laughs> He, I'm like pausing to think about how exactly to describe how hard he hits, but he just, I don't know, he hits like a truck. Just watch his huddle film. And I mean, every 11 Warriors comment, every time I write an article on him, is my God, this guy just lights people up. I need this guy. I've never seen a highlight film like this. And it's pretty impressive to watch him just throw people to the ground in his highlight film. So, Again, Ohio State's in great position here, but they need a strong visit to seal the deal. And Tackett is definitely a guy that's going to commit before the summer's out. So could be the last chance to make a last great impression.
0: Garrick, you being a baseball guy, I would have thought you'd go if they're on third base, they've got to get home. But maybe you would have sounded a little too much like Jim Harbaugh if you said that. Well, I, I
1: might <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to like compromise here. I'm trying to whittle away my hatred for golf and little by little start some respect for the one of the three sports that I'll be capable of playing when you know, I turn 30 in two months and I'm old and useless and
0: might have to actually take up. So I'll, I'll keep the, working on you. We'll get you there.
2: What uh, are the other two, by the way, Garrick? What are the other two? The, t- the uh, other two sports you'll be able to play?
1: Well, I'd say tennis for sure. And then swimming. I mean, that's a sport, right? Yeah. It's an Olympic sport. So, I mean, I, I I don't want to devolve this into a, what other sports could I feasibly play at 30 and not drop dead conversation, but I'd say probably tennis
0: and swimming. The last guy on your list of a top official visitors for a month is Justice Haynes, and I think this one's kind of the opposite of Tackett Curtis. With Tackett, we're talking about they're in a pole position. They've got to, they've got to finish the thing off. Justice Haynes, they've got to come from behind here. If you're talking about them being ahead by two strokes for – Tackett Curtis, I think they're behind by a few strokes for Justice Haynes. But with the news coming out last week that Richard Young had canceled his official visit to Ohio State, Ohio State, at one point, Ohio State looked like the front runner to land Richard Young. Now they're looking like a long shot there. So if they're going to get another premier running back to pair with Mark Fletcher, it's starting to feel like it's going to be Justice Haynes or Busfair. Yeah, I really think so. I just don't know what other kind of premier running back they can
1: get this late in the cycle I mean they'll probably if they strike out on Haynes I'm sure they'll look for preferred walk-on or maybe even try to capture a late bloomer but they don't really need one if it's not a premier running back because like you've mentioned at length various times Dan Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor all could be there for up to the next two seasons so when you add in Mark Fletcher and then Dallin Hayden's there as well it's not necessarily critical that they have to add a second running back in the 2023 class but considering how long they've been recruiting Justice Haynes and how dynamic he is on the field if you can take him certainly add him to the running back room and don't look back but this official visit really is their last chance to catch up not seal the deal and just catch up and really make a last recruiting pitch to get us guy that they know they'd be comfortable taking as a second running back in the 2023
2: class. Garrick, which official visitors are going to be on commit watch over, you know, the next few weeks here while we get into camp season? Tackett Curtis for sure.
1: Noah Rogers for sure. I'm all, I'm kind of surprised he hasn't committed already if we're being real, perhaps Olas, Kay and Lee for sure. Cornerback out of Georgia that has flirted with Ohio state so many times that it seems like only a matter of time before he's, in the class Jaden bonso i think is another guy that could be scheduled to visit in the middle of the month and that's probably it in terms of commit watch
0: on their visits make your prediction garrick between now and july 4 because we know july 4 is a big commit day how many commitments will ohio state land man this is a tough one
1: yeah. No, I mean, no matter what I'm saying, I'm going to colossally be wrong. So I'm just
0: going to shoot my shot. I will go with eight. Wow. That's that was a bigger number than I was expecting.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a bigger number than I was expecting to. But <laughs> I will say eight. I will You're say going eight, for it. Yeah. Specifically, I'll say Darren Reed, Tackett Curtis, Noah Rogers, Olas, Cain, Jaden, Brandon Innes. And you know what? I'll say Cardinal Tate's in there, too. Wow, that
0: if I, I think a lot of our listeners just perked up hearing that. I think if Ohio State lands commitments from those eight guys in the next month, I think there's going to be a lot of excited people in Columbus. And it will be a lot of work for me,
1: so we're, <laughs> we're, 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 I'm ready for it. But um, again, inevitably going to be Ron. But if there is eight commitments between now and July 4th,
0: you heard it here first, folks. Anyone you're on commit watch for? Outside of a 2023 class, I know Jeremiah Smith's a guy that Ohio State's been recruiting really hard. Any chance he commits this summer? Anybody else in that 2024 class that you think could maybe be next to join Dylan Rayola? There's always a chance, right? Uh, I think there is kind of talks that Jeremiah
1: Smith might actually have been Ohio State's first commit in the 2024 class, but I think that Ohio State doesn't necessarily want someone that is going to commit and then still take other visits. So I think with him, they're encouraging him to absolutely play out the recruiting process, take everything that he needs to see, and then make sure that if he decides to commit to Ohio State down the road, he's locked in. Now, a commitment could come this summer. Maybe he feels comfortable enough by August that he doesn't need to go on any more big visits. And it's entirely possible that happens. But I'm not envisioning any 2024 commits this summer. It's always possible. Another guy I thought could pop for a while is, Bryce West, but I mean, Glenville traditionally takes those commitments the distance. So, again, eight is already a lot, a big number. If we add a nine or a 10 in there from a 2024 commitment, or perhaps even some stragglers from a 2023 guy that gets an offer from camp that kind of comes out of nowhere and then suddenly just decides to wrap up his commitment in the next week, we'll be ready for it. I don't know what the over under would be on commitments,
0: but I think Garrick's betting on the over. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I guess it depends on what the, the betting lot odds are. I mean, if it's six and a half, I'm definitely smashing that over, baby. You can take that.
0: Got a few questions from our listeners, Mr. Buck 24, and we can all answer this one, but we'll start with you, Garrick. In your guys' opinion, who is the most important recruiting target still on the board that we must get in the 2023 class and why?
1: Well, I'm going to contradict myself because I put Caleb Towns as the number one official, important official visitor, but I'll just say Olas because, again, I just don't know where they go if they strike out on him and they can't get Samson to take an official visit either this summer or later in the season. So I'll say Olas is the most important guy that they need to solidify their premier offensive tackle recruiting.
2: Griffin? Yeah. Honestly, I can't, I can't break from what Garrett's telling me here. I, I trust the wise words of our you know, wonderful recruiting analyst here at 11 Warriors. Obviously the, there's been questions about the, the depth of the Ohio state offensive line as it stands right now, Ohio state's probably going to lose both of their starting tackles again next year. You're looking down the line, who is going to step up and be the next guy at that position. You make a great case for Olas there as being the most important guy in that class. Dan, do you have a dissenting opinion from those two?
0: Well, I don't disagree with the answer because I think it's probably the the accurate answer of what they most need, but I'll throw out another answer. And maybe it's more of a luxury just because of how much talent they already have at the position. But the way I look at it is the way Ohio State's building this team, Ryan Day's program, the key to continued success is going to be continuing to have the best passing offense in the country. So how are you going to do that? You're going to continue bringing in elite quarterbacks and you're going to continue bringing in elite wide receivers. So probably not a quarterback uh, in the 2023 class right now that really stands out as a, a guy that they're likely to get. So I'm going to say Brandon Ennis, right? To me, I mean, I wrote about it last year after it was camps. He watched, he was the most impressive player. I watched at all the camps last year. I think he absolutely lives up to the billing of being the number one wide receiver in the class of 2023. And winning those kind of recruiting battles, if they land a commitment from him like Garrick forecasted this summer, it just it's just such a big momentum boost when you get a guy like that. You're going to get more elite recruits wanting to join the fold, and so I think if if he hadn't committed a month ago, we'd be talking about Dylan Rayol right now being the most important guy for Ohio State. But I just I put Brandon Innes at the top of that list because. I just think he's one of the best players in the class, and he's a guy that can be a game changer for him. Not that they really need a game changer, but just another guy to come in and continue this trend of elite wide receivers. I think if they can get him, it'll be a huge win for Ohio State.
2: Garrett, Polarbuck would like to know, who is the most underrated 2023 commit and why? Oh, this is a much easier question to answer. I think, without a doubt, it's Bryson Rogers.
1: Only the fact because to be underrated, you have to be slept on by a lot of people. And he's considered a three-star by some recruiting services, even though he had been a four-star at one point and is ranked as a four-star by other. And I just think when basically your top three turned out to be Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia, that, that just speaks to me a lot about the potential that all these programs saw in Bryson and Rogers. And I trust Brian Hartline. In Brian Hartline, I trust when it comes to evaluating wide receiver talent. So I think by far
0: and away, Bryson Rodgers is the most underrated commitment that Ohio State has so far. And I will not be surprised in the slightest if his ranking ends up being much higher by December than it is now. Because when we saw that happen with Keon Grays a year ago, I mean, he was not a highly ranked guy. When he committed, he ended up being a top 100 guy. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was another guy who was through for rankings. Obviously, Chris Olave was lower ranked, but we saw what he became. And so I'm certainly with you there, and I trust Brian Hartline's judgment. And if he sees that, and if Alabama sees that, and if Georgia sees that, then he's probably better than the 369 ranked prospect in the class as he's ranked right now. One more question from our listeners from Mr. Mozambique. He said, Ohio, while still strong, is not the rich recruiting ground it was 10 to 20 years ago. In parallel, our recruiting footprint is much more national now. What, if anything, should, could Ohio State be doing to assist Ohio high school football to retain this rich history, or at least keep it from getting worse? Are you aware of any actions the university is taking to strengthen the sport at the high school level in Ohio, aside from example camps? From my perspective, I'm not necessarily aware of anything specifically that Ohio State is doing to assist Ohio school football, other than the fact that, I mean, obviously, I, I think if you're Ohio State, you- you're always going to bring visibility to the surrounding area of how big your program is. And I know in the past, I know Ryan Day has advocated for wanting spring football and, and seven on seven to be allowed in Ohio. And I think that's certainly something that I think would help the state of Ohio if they had more opportunities for those offseason development. Anything else, Garrick, that, that you've seen that you, you think people are working on to try to get Ohio high school football a little bit more momentum?
1: Well, the only other thing that could do it besides spring football was the potential for NIL deals, but that failed by a pretty considerable margin. So I think we're a long ways away from that. But I mean, whether that's Pandora's box or not is a discussion for another day. But yeah, I don't think Ohio State can do a whole lot in terms of doing anything to help Ohio prep athletes besides being strong advocates for issues. Like like you said, Ryan Day has lobbied at will for the state to legalize spring football practices and seven on seven camps. And I think we're further away from that than most people would like, mostly because I think that Ohio is afraid that it's going to conflict with other spring sports like baseball and track and all that other stuff. And they don't want to incentivize not doing those sports for a lot of the like premier athletes, but I I don't know. I, I think the only things that you could do to improve the current state of prep Ohio are spring football and potentially NIL. But again, whether that would improve everything or not, or just make everything a colossal disaster, is open to interpretation. And if you go by the people that run and are in charge of these decisions, they interpret it as it would be a colossal disaster. So spring football seems to be like the only thing left that would make a significant difference. And it wasn't even on the board of issues to vote on this last uh, spring cycle. So it seems like we're still a a lot further from that than a lot of uh, athletes and even
0: some coaches would like. Griffin, I'm curious your perspective. You're the only one of us who actually Grew up in Ohio and went to high school in Ohio. So, is there anything you see uh, from just a Ohio high school sports perspective that you know this state could be doing better to help its schools develop more Division One Power Five football talent?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question for sure. I think Ryan Day talking about some of the the steps that maybe they could take in, in bringing exposure to that will might help make changes when you've got a guy at the the, the level of celebrity, basically of a Ryan Day saying those things. Me personally, I didn't actually play football. I'm a, I'm kind of fragile. I've had my, my run of a, my a stretch of injuries and, and this, that, and the third. So I didn't really honestly see the uh, the inside uh, day-to-day grind, if you will, on the on the gridiron. Uh, also m- my school, there was only about 160 kids in my class. So football program, not super huge. We did have a, a couple of, of uh, good players. Jalen Robinette, one of the guys who was uh, working out at Ohio State Pro Day a few years ago, he went to Bexley. He was like, He's still like the best athlete out of Bexley in quite some time. But yeah, other than that, I'm really not sure it's something I'd probably have to think about more to give a more articulate answer on that, Dan.
0: Yeah, I'm also a little bit fragile, so I I feel you there, Griffin, but Garrick, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. really looking forward to all your coverage over the course of this month and what will be. If if you see it correctly, it could be a really big month for Ohio State recruiting. So we will see how it ultimately plays out. But one way or another, it's going to be fascinating.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And both of you may be fragile, but I'd still both draft you to play QB. So...
0: Yeah, maybe I'll get out there and fro a few passes. I don't think Ryan Day and Corey Dennis would be too impressed, but uh, perhaps it, not.
1: But you you may be able to win the uh, mythical Eleven Warriors NFL Combine. So you you may have the strongest arm out of all of us. We'll never know until we try.
0: Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna have to make it happen. That that sounds like a lot of fun. Probably be more fun for you guys to watch at how how much we would struggle. But hey, oh, we're yeah. in the off we're in the off season. Maybe we'll have to make it happen. All right, Griffin. We talked a lot about. Football recruiting, basketball recruiting as well. I know Chris Holtman and his staff have been busy on the trail. Ohio State will, they'll hold a camp later this month as well. Maybe not quite as big of a month for basketball recruiting as it is for football recruiting, but what are the things that they need to accomplish this summer?
2: But yeah, so let's review the situation at the moment here, as far as Ohio State basketball recruiting goes. Obviously, in the 2023 class, the Buckeyes have two commits right now. George Washington the third, who is currently the number 51 player in the country per 247 sports. He just went down, I think, a, a few spots in those rankings, but still a four-star guy. Has really, honestly, I thought, m- m- impressed on, on the EYBL circuit. He definitely impressed me when I got to see him live. It seems like he's gotten... More and more athletic as well, kind of add, adding that to his game. He was already a, a sharpshooter and kind of shot maker before that. Kind of adding all those elements together now, though. And then Austin Parks from St. Mary's, Ohio. He is like a six ten center, and his stock has been going up as well because kind of before this summer he hadn't necessarily uh, participated in as many of these high profile type of AAU events against high super high caliber opposition. Maybe, but now he's sitting at the as the number one hundred and one overall ranked player in the class of 2023. Um, so, so you have a, a point guard or a combo guard there, and you also have a center, which means, of course, Ohio State should n- will, will now try to get more of a wing, with somebody maybe a 3-4 a in, in that range, you would think. And that's why I think the, the two names that that you hear most often, both Ohio guys, you're looking at Devin Royal, of course, and uh, Dylan uh, Swain as two guys. Local products, Ohio State has you know, seen these guys a ton. Of course, they're, they're teammates. Both of those guys are our teammates with George Washington on the all Ohio Red 17 U team. And then I think that those are guys that Ohio State would love a, a commitment from one of those guys. And I think we'll start to see um, here maybe some top lists and things of that nature as the summer rolls along here. Um, I know Devin Royal told me when I talked to him at the end of uh, April, I believe it was in Indianapolis that in these summer months or around around the Peach Jam, he would probably be you know, dropping a top list and, and starting to kind of crank up that process. So those are a couple of names to, to definitely keep an eye on and also things that Ohio State would like to accomplish, I believe, as far as recruiting goes this summer. Do you think Ohio State could potentially take both
0: Royal and Swain or do you think it's a one or the other proposition there?
2: I feel like they could take both. I mean, the roster construction is so fluid nowadays that in terms of being locked into to a specific number, I think is not necessarily, I don't think they're just going to cap it necessarily at, at one at one. if they could you know, possibly get, but they don't play very similar at all in terms of if you're, if you're looking at how they fit in the, cl- if they were to fit together on the court, I think they fit together great because Swain is really more of a perimeter guy. I think he, he's going to have to develop more of a, an outside shot moving forward to kind of make that, all make sense for him positionally he's obviously super long he could probably fill out his frame too but but Devin Royal is a lot more of a kind of an interior presence he can step outside too and and knock down some threes and even you know play a little bit of a point forward at times bringing the ball up but it's really kind of an inside outside duo more so I would say and uh, the main thing if if you watch these guys play it it, the way they feed off of each other like defensively really the whole team but it's really Royal and Swain making a lot of the uh, things happen in terms of getting steals and running out in transition. It's really something to watch. Like just the, I, I think Swain was leading the entire EYBL circuit in steals, like three or, three or four a game or something. Uh, it, it's really something to watch with those guys. But yeah, I think they could to- definitely mesh together on the court for Ohio State well, but we'll see what what ends up playing out there.
0: So are you willing to go as bold as Garrick and predict that Ohio State's going to land like four basketball commitments this summer? Or should Ohio State basketball fans exercise a little more patience?
2: I think probably a little more patience. I, I, I would be, I would definitely be surprised um, to it, definitely not eight. I'll tell you that much. But, <laughs>
0: uh,
2: you know, you, you mentioned that, too, though. But, you know, Ohio State still does not have a commit in that 2024 class but there's a lot of interesting guys in that mix. I got to talk to a couple of them, at least one of the guys that that has an Ohio State offer in that class, MontVert Academy's Amir Ali, who he's traveled around, you know, the country a little bit is to kind of pursue his basketball career in high school already. But he's ranked the number 35 player now in that class. He's six eight. And he he will tell you that he'll play the one or two. Um, listed as a small forward though on on a two four seven, but just freakishly long and, and already has some perimeter skills. Definitely is going to round out his game with a couple of years left to go in his high school career. But the interesting thing about him is that he actually spent grew up for for many years in Gahanna, Ohio. So he would refer to Ohio State as his hometown team, which gives the Buckeyes obviously. A bit of a, a a leg up there in, in what should be a national recruiting battle for his services. Ohio State also recently offered Jonathan Powell. He's a, a shooting guard from Centerville out in uh, Dayton. I might be talking to him soon. I've, I've had a little bit of contact with him. another guy, another really interesting guy that actually plays for all Ohio red um, one year down is Tyler McKinley out of Walnut Hills in Cincinnati. He's a guy that that really made waves specifically that the second uh, circuit there in, in Indianapolis. I think he might have led like all scorers in his you know age group with 20-something 20, 20 a game there. He's a 6'8 power forward. They list him at 210 right now. The number 60 player in the country. Obviously, he's from Cincinnati, so that'll be interesting to see there with kind of the, the in-state recruiting battle. But that's another guy to definitely a name to be aware of for sure if you're an Ohio State basketball fan looking at what might be coming down the pipeline and, and who Ohio State's looking at early in that recruiting class.
0: We discussed it with Garrick. Would you say there's a most important target for Ohio
2: State right now? Or is it maybe kind of a toss up between Swain and Royal? I think it's I think it would definitely be Royal and Swain for sure. If you're talking about that 2023 class, there's obviously some other guys, uh, Scotty Middleton's of the world and, and um, folks like that. But considering those guys are, are in Ohio State's backyard, so to speak, they, those just seem like a really important you know, pieces to to try to to lock down at least one of those guys, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at recent years, I mean, again, we don't want to make excuses for Ohio State basketball, but one thing you can look at the last few years is proven Malachi Branham, there hasn't been a ton of like elite talent in Ohio. So this seems like a stronger Ohio class. They've already got, Washington's going to be an Ohio guy now. They've already got Parks. If you can go and get a Royal Indoor Swain, then you can really have a strong class of in-state guys. And so when you have as much in-state talent in the class as there is this year, it becomes really important to lock those guys down and keep the top talent in
2: state. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's that's kind of why the, the Malachi Branham You know, situation, the Malachi Branham experience, if you will, uh, that was such an important thing for the program, I think, because now guys are going to look, other Ohio guys are going to say, Hey, I'm, you know, from Ohio and I can go and and have success right away and and be a one and done type of guy at Ohio State, which is not something that we've seen all too often in the last, you know, several years in the program. But now there's a a prime example of a guy that had success right off the bat at Ohio State and and is, you know, going to be a first round draft pick here pretty soon.
0: Chris Holtman also made an appearance on 97.1 The Fan last week, and I thought he had some interesting comments. He talked about how he's, quote, really excited about Ohio State's incoming freshmen. And there are a couple of comments that stood out to me. For one, he compared Bryce Sensabaugh to Dwayne Washington Jr., which was not necessarily a comparison I would have expected because I almost thought Bryce was more of an EJ Liddell than he was a a Dwayne Washington. If you just look at his body type, he's 6'6 and a a bigger 6'6. Now, Holtman says he has slimmed down, so that would certainly indicate that he is a guy they're probably looking to play more on the wing than to play in the post as much as EJ did, but he just seems like a guy, like I've said it before, I feel like maybe he's the guy, because he's the lowest ranked of those top four guys, like maybe he's not getting as much hype as a Bruce Thornton or a Felix Akpara or a Roddy Gale, but I have a feeling he's going to be a guy who's going to make a big impact for Ohio State. And just the more you hear about him, I mean, if he's a guy who almost has an EJ Liddell body type, yet can shoot it like Dwayne Washington, that's a really intriguing skill set to work with.
2: Oh, 100%. And, and, and like you said, I think he, he got a little bit underrated maybe in the recruiting process, specifically because he missed his whole... Like junior year of high school basketball because he had a, an MCL issue or something, some a, a knee injury that he had to get surgery on. And so he was kind of a, a late bloomer in, in that regard. And he was also the last commit in that class for the Buckeyes as well. So he, he kind of came aboard late, had a late rise up the recruiting rankings. But yeah, his body type and his athleticism, given his body type and the position he plays are all super interesting. If, if you watch him at all, I know they, he'll post up some clips of him doing some dunks and whatnot. And just the way he moves, it's a very—he's a very interesting guy to watch. And, and I always knew that he wasn't quite EJ Liddell in terms of the kind of like post-up game that, that EJ Liddell kind of leans on, especially earlier in his Ohio State career. He's more of a more of an EJ Liddell if you shifted him up one position. So that's where I think that the Dwayne Washington kind of two guard, but has the size to maybe even guard a four on defense. If you needed him to, yeah, all those things are, are true. And it's, it's gotta be a, a good sign for the, the coaching staff that they're, that they're seeing what they need to see out of him right now. And honestly, Chris Holtman is, we've talked about before on this podcast. I mean, they're going to need some guys to pan out pretty soon in this class. If they want to take a step forward from, you know, what they were able to accomplish last year, which I know some fans are getting a little bit impatient for them to take that next step. I know we don't, you know, all think that next step is, is guaranteed to happen this year, Certainly, but if it is going to happen, it's a good sign that Holman's excited about those guys. Yeah, he certainly seems genuinely excited about those guys, and he said it specifically in reference to the
0: the four top sixty guys: Roddy Gale, Bruce Forton, Felix Hupara, and Bryce Sensabaugh. He said. Quote, certainly all four will play. So he's expecting all four of those guys to make an immediate impact. Bowen Hardman, lower ranked in-state guy. May- maybe he's a guy who has a quieter first year, kind of like we saw with, with Kalen Etzler last year. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I mean, I think he'll probably play a little bit, but he might not maybe play as big a role as the other four guys early on in the year. But he did say, in reference to Felix Akpara, he said, quote, Felix, our big kid's going to need some time. He's 6'11 with a seven free wingspan but he's only about 215 right now. So he's going to need some time to grow. That is an interesting comment to me because we talked about it with them getting Isaac likely as their last transfer. Originally we thought they were going to bring in another big to be their last transfer. They ended up going for another guard. And part of a thinking there was, well, that means Felix Akpara is going to play a lot as a freshman because they, right now they really only have two true bigs in Zed key and Felix Akpara. So when I hear those comments, that to me is a little bit concerning because if he's a guy who maybe won't be quite ready to play a big role as a freshman, I think that would be a problem for Ohio State because then you'd really only have one center you can rely on in Z Key.
2: And in a, a six in a six eight one at that, and a guy I've said it before too, Zed Key's not every game in the Big Ten going up against the opposing centers that are present in the Big Ten. Not all matchups are meant for Zed Key. It seems at, at least that's been the case the last couple of seasons. And so, if, if Felix Vakarov does need you know time to adjust, does that mean that, that Zed Key basically never comes off the floor? Or does that mean you you really lean into kind of more of a small ball uh, type of deal? And, and that's what Chris Holman you know has said about. Isaac likely is that he's a guy that could play the could play the four in a, a four guard lineup. But yeah, I, I still think Felix Akpara is going to have to play a, a little bit because of the reasons I just touched on there with, you know, Zed Key and his body type, a very different body type than Felix Akpara. I think those guys can probably be a bit of a yin and yang type of deal in terms of the big man, the big men situation at Ohio State.
0: Yeah, I think there's no doubt that regardless, we're, we're going to see more small ball from Ohio State this year. I, I don't think they have a choice because, I mean, not only did you lose EJ, I mean, you also lost Kyle Young. I mean, obviously Joey Brunk's role fluctuated, but, you know, he's another guy you lost. So they just, I, I mean, again, they, they really have two true post players. Kalen Etzler is a guy who could play that four, but he didn't play at all last year. You know, then the rest of your guys really, I mean, they're more wings and guards. But, you know, some of those guys are going to have to play down low. I mean, I think whether it's Justice Suing, Seth Towns, Eugene Brown, I mean, Bryce Sensabaugh, you talked about some of those guys who are really more true to and freeze. You're going to see some of those guys get minutes at the four or maybe even to five sometimes just because uh, they don't have that many. Bear- Isaac Likely is certainly another guy who fits into that uh, conversation as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with the lineups this year. I think it's definitely going to be Uh, more of a small ball lineup, which as we've talked about before, I I think come March, that could be a good thing. Like, I, I mean, I think there's a chance come March, that could be a good thing. I think there's also probably going to be games in the big 10 this year where Ohio state gets bullied by somebody down low and fans are complaining about why don't we have a true center? Uh, I think there's a good chance that uh, those conversations will be had again this year, but I think if Ohio State can play small ball effectively, it, it can work. I mean, I don't think it's a fatal flaw necessarily if you don't have an if, if you're a little bit thin at center, it, it's just going to force them to be able to be creative and versatile.
2: Yeah. And I think honestly, last year, obviously, Ohio State did add some size there with bringing in Joey Brunk, even though a lot of times he, he might not have even played at all or, or very sparingly. But I think that Chris Holman kind of feels like the Ohio State hasn't really been gashed by the lack of bigs that, you know, that's been a criticism from fans for the past couple of years now. I think that he he doesn't feel like it's cost Ohio State as much as the fans, like the narrative might be about it. And that, I think that plays into things as well.
0: Ryan Day was also on the radio last week. I know you listened to Vat Griffin.
2: Anything that jumped out to you from what he had to say? Oh yeah, uh, sorry. I, I froze up there thinking back to that radio appearance. Obviously, uh, Ryan Day. It was the first time he was asked publicly, basically, about his contract extension and everything like that. He was very grateful, gracious, thanked the the Gene Smith and company and all the people that 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 made it possible. When someone says like something like that, you think of all his his previous mentors, the Urban Myers, the Chip Kelly's. This, that, and the third his time in the NFL. Yeah. So just uh, hearing him kind of talk about that was interesting. And Dan, I'm, trying to, I'm really trying to think back on what else he talked about because I know I wrote a couple articles about it, but it's escaping me in the moment here.
0: I know he talked about how they're not going to leave any stone unturned with that Notre Dame game. That now it's a balance, too, as he talked about, where there's going to be other tests come after that, too. I mean, they play Wisconsin by the end of September, so they can't put all their eggs into the preparing for Notre Dame basket. But no question, that's a game that they're going to be preparing really hard for this summer, knowing if they are starting their season with a top 10 matchup.
2: Yeah. I wondered when he said that, you know, how much he was kind of referencing last season because Ohio state obviously started the season, not with a top 10 opponent per se, but they started the season on the road against a big 10 opponent with a new starting quarterback. So I think probably a lot of, of off season preparation went into that because they probably obviously felt they needed to be extremely ready for that game. And then obviously one week, the next week there. Ohio State had kind of that letdown loss, obviously, to Oregon at home. And so I wonder if that's like kind of Ryan Day's thought process there when he says, because at first you're like, like you don't want to put too much into the game. It's like, man, like, why wouldn't you just put you know everything into, into the game? And I think that's maybe what he's talking about there. But it's not like Ohio State has a super high caliber opponent the very next week. But they do have some you know, other big time matchups there early in the season, specifically Wisconsin coming up a, a couple weeks, a few weeks after the Notre Dame game.
0: Along those same lines, he also talked about not wanting the team to buy its own hype. I mean, if you look at preseason rankings right now, I think most of them have Ohio State second. A lot of them have Alabama number one, Ohio State number two. Uh, a lot of people are expecting Ohio State to you know, get back to the top of the Big Ten this year and make the college ball playoff and uh, contend for a national championship. But today, to quote him, he said, the last thing we want to see is ourselves at the top of anything because you have to come in and want to prove yourself every day if you don't have a mentality that you're going to prove yourself on the field every single week with s- competitive stamina, it doesn't work. And I think that goes to the same lines of what you just talked about, because if this is beco- it's become pretty commonplace that every year Ohio State's going to get picked to win the big 10. They're going to get picked to go to the college ball playoff. They're going to get picked to compete for a national title, but we saw what happened last year. I mean, it only takes that one game early in the year for all of that to be put in serious jeopardy. And so I think certainly he, he doesn't want, you know, his team to be thinking about the college ball playoff right now. He wants his team to be thinking about, we got to go beat Notre Dame week one. And then we got to win a lot of more games after that, because we saw it, it, it only takes two losses to ruin all those dreams. And so, and there's plenty of tests along the way where, you know, I think you and I would both pick Ohio state to win the big 10 and make the college ball playoff and have a shot at winning the national title, but nothing's a given. There's plenty of hard games along the way plenty that Ohio state is still going to have to prove and we'll get more into depth on that as we continue through his off season here. But certainly I think that's the mentality he wants his players to have is one step at a time. We got to win this thing piece by piece. He can't win the national championship in September.
2: Yeah. And it's and he had a quote as well about uh, CJ Stroud and, and the fact that he's not just going to step on the field and and be this amazing quarterback that everyone thinks he is at the moment. And as he proved to be last season, because We've seen a lot of college football. A guy will have a fantastic, amazing year at at quarterback, come back and and not be, you know, quite the same at the, at quite the same level the the very next season. And it it does feel like, honestly, like with the Ohio state offense and and Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Travion Henderson, CJ Stroud, there's so much hype about the offense. It's yeah, we'll just roll the offense out there and it's going to do exactly what it did. But I think that's what Ryan Day is trying to kind of get the, The focus back into it's not just going to be that easy, and having his players kind of adopt that mindset. Nope, it never is. It never is. I mean, every every year we go into it thinking like, oh
0: man, they got all this talent. Who's going to stop them? But it never works out like that. There's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be roadblocks along the way. And so while I think there's reason to be very optimistic about what Ohio State can have with CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Travion Henderson and all those guys, I I also don't think we should just assume, oh, Ohio State is going to be this unbeatable juggernaut every week. I mean, there may be weeks where it looks like that. And we saw that last year. There were certainly weeks where it looked like that. But it's probably not going to be like that every week. There's probably going to be growing pains along the way, and so certainly for you know them to continue working, like it's going to be a struggle. But you know we've heard all the right things. We've heard all the right things from. I know both those guys were out uh, in LA this past weekend working with uh, Dylan Rayola and a lot of other top high school players out at the uh, quarterback retreat in Los Angeles. So it certainly seems they've been putting in work to continue improving their craft. I know I just saw a video on Monday that I think was posted on Marvin Harrison Jr.'s Instagram of him running routes in the Woody and catching balls from the jugs machine. And uh, I'm sure as we're out at camps over the next month too, I'm sure we'll see a lot of those guys uh, out there at the Woody putting in work. So it certainly seems like they're doing all the right things, but uh, a long way to go. Still three months to go until the season starts. But we do know now we do know when four of Ohio State's first five games of the season, all of which are at home, are going to kick off. We already knew the Notre Dame game would be, at night, a 7.30 game on ABC, but we now know Ohio State's going to play two home night games in the first three weeks, as Ohio State's game against Toledo is going to be a 7 p.m. game on Fox. Arkansas State game, the second game of the year, that'll be a noon game on BTN. Rutgers, uh, the fifth game of the year, that will be a free 30 game after a Wisconsin game at a time. To be determined the week before, though, you'd probably figure that's probably going to be a noon or a free 30 game. I would lean toward free 30 if it being on ABC, given that three night games in four weeks at home would be pretty unprecedented for Ohio State. But I think certainly out of those announcements, the one that grabs your attention is Ohio State playing Toledo in a 7 p.m. game. Doesn't, Doesn't quite come with the same cachet and level of excitement that we talked about with the Notre Dame game.
2: I was just about to say, we, we just talked about how we were actually excited for the, the Notre Dame game being a night game, despite the fact that it'll mean uh, a late night for us, uh, us journos, but the Toledo night game, not exactly the, yeah. the same level there, but it, it certainly feels like the sequel to last year's Akron home night game. And so I guess it's fitting in that regard, but maybe this is a, a new trend for Ohio State here. Yeah. I mean, it's cool for Toledo.
0: This is Toledo's SID tweeted out a stat. This will actually be the first time Toledo has ever played a national network game. So really cool for Toledo. That'll be the uh, Dallas Gantt homecoming game. So we'll see how he does uh, against his former team. But yeah, I think uh, certainly I, I did say I am genuinely excited for Ohio State Notre Dame at night. I'd rather Toledo be a noon game. I think a lot of people, even fans, would probably prefer that be a noon game. But you know what? You got to make the best of it when it is. And for Ohio State, it's another chance to play. It's kind of funny with it being on Fox because everybody always complains about Fox always being a noon game. And then they actually get a night game on Fox and it's a game that nobody wants to be a night game because it's against Toledo but another opportunity for Ohio state to play in prime time. I'm sure that the Toledo game isn't going to draw the same caliber of recruits if the Notre Dame game does, but nonetheless, it is another opportunity with it being a night game for some out of state recruits. Perhaps they can't make it to the Notre Dame game. That could be another opportunity for them to come in for a night game and, and watch the Buckeyes play in the shoes. So, you know, how state's got to take advantage of it, make the most of the situation. Ohio state's going to have eight home games this year, which is more of an, it typically has, so uh, we'll see noon games in Masu, uh, free-ferry games in shoe. and we already know we'll see at least two night games in shoe. So for people who have been upset that Ohio State hasn't gotten enough night games at home in recent years, no, comp- no complaints so far.
2: Dan, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, man. At the actually today, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I'm seeing you right now. As people are
0: listening to this, I'm sure I'm seeing you right now. As we are probably both at Woody Hayes Athletic Center covering a camp, the first of seven camps for Ohio State football recruiting this month. So stay tuned with 11 Warriors, all our coverage from the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and uh, everything that happens in recruiting this month. Garrick will do a great job leading the way on our coverage of that. And we'll be back next week uh, to talk with you some more. Thanks for listening. in.